you know, I put together a whole proposal that I thought was really good. And he came back to me and said, you know, I really appreciate this, but my niece just told me that she took a web design class in college. And so I'm going to have her do it, actually. So people didn't understand how much better our work was than someone that had taken one three credit hour class in college because we weren't differentiated and it wasn't clear what the value proposition was. Hey, Feasters, if you recognize the name, this isn't a rerun for those of you that actually know what that term is. Sarah Dunn was a guest back in season two, episode six. So I had to bring her back into this season and I'm super stoked to have her on episode two here. I just had to bring her back because she is very upfront and public about addressing some of the fears that she has along the journey of specializing her business. So I wanted to invite her back onto the show so we can have a discussion about that and so much more. We actually dive deep into why niching down can help your sales process, how to overcome some of those fears of niching down, some strategies on how you can be intentional on the marketing around a niche, but not give up the rest of your business. And finally, what to consider and how to handle your team. See, Sarah owns a web agency called 11Web, which makes her journey even more difficult because she's got to bring on people to get involved. She was super smart in the way she went about shifting the business with such intention. We unpacked her thought process around addressing the team and how she was able to bring them into the conversation and decision to specialize the business. I got so much from this conversation and I know you will too. So let's just dive in. This episode is brought to you by Feast, the premium online coaching and community designed for web developers, designers, marketers, and freelancers of all type wanting to specialize their business and build recurring revenue that's profitable and sustainable. Today's market is ever-changing and yesterday's advice won't cut it. Feast members get access to the roadmap and training library, which includes everything you need to niche down, build recurring revenue, and become that go-to respected person for your services. That, together with monthly roundup calls, exclusive workshops, expert chit-chats, and our Slack community, you'll have everything you need to live the life of your own design. If you're serious about not competing on price and having clients that respect you and your expertise, then join Feast. Head over to feastcourse.com today. Feasters. Today's featured guest is Sarah Dunn. Welcome, Sarah. Hey, Jason. Good to see you. Great. Thanks for being here. Two-time guest. Two times. That's awesome. Sarah's the owner of 11Web, and she's been on a mission, and she's still on the mission to specialize her web design business. She's extremely candid about her journey, especially on YouTube, and we'll link that up in the show notes, and shared a bit of that journey on season two, episode six of Living the Feast. Sarah, why don't you dive in and tell us a little bit more about who you are and why you do what you do? 
You bet. Well, it's really fun to be back on, especially since your topic is niching down. And over the last, it's been about a year and a half that has been kind of my pet project, my passion, something that I've been creating a lot of content around uh, my own journey to specialize my WordPress web development agency. And I started that agency about six years ago, and it has grown into a small team of four people, all working remotely on WordPress web design and development projects. And we've done a variety of things over the year, but in the last couple years, I've gotten very involved in search engine optimization and ended up after a long journey of trying to niche down to determine that specializing in search engine optimization and bringing that to the wedding industry was something that really fascinated me and has fascinated me for the last almost a year now. So that is how I've gotten to where I am today. And I have vlogged every step of that journey on YouTube, whether it was boring or confusing or frustrating. And sometimes videos that don't have a ton of point other than sharing my emotions at the time. I actually made videos, I think, for about eight months as I was trying to niche down and find the right specialty before I actually discovered what was right for me. So there's a long uh, journey documented on YouTube and I've been uh, vlogging for about a year and a half. Yeah. And some of those, you could definitely see and hear just the tone of your voice, some of the frustrations and the emotion and all that stuff. I mean, that for one, I don't know how you just it was like, all right, I'm going to press record and <laughs> just going to talk and let people know what I'm feeling. Right. I mean, yeah. Why did you do that? You know, I just felt really alone. And I think we talked about this a lot on the last episode that a lot of people are out there. Um, I didn't find you before I started my journey. I wish I would have. I felt when I felt really called to specialize my business, I didn't feel like anybody else was in the same place that I was. I felt very lonely in the generalist world, wanting to be more specialized and not being sure how to do it or what direction to take it. And I knew that there had to be other people that felt like me, but I didn't know who they were. So I said, you know what? I'm going to sit in my my conference table in my office. I'm going to turn on a camera and I'm going to talk about it and see if it resonates with anyone. And it absolutely has. It's been amazing how many people have reached out, joined a Slack channel that I started, and we have regular conversations about specializing and web development. And I've just met a lot of other people that do actually understand how frustrating it is to try to go from generalist to specialist. So it's been great and a great way for me to connect with a lot of people online who are on this same path. That's awesome. Yeah. So question that I have is you have an agency, right? So you, you have a team and you said that they're all remote, right? Exactly. Did they know that you were going to unpack this or was it kind of like dropped on them? How did that unfold? You know, it was kind of a secret journey and struggle I was having. I didn't want to really tell my team that I wasn't 100% satisfied with the work that we were doing because I think the projects we were producing were really good. I loved what we were doing. I knew that we were making great impact for clients. The problem was it was hard for me as the person who did the marketing and sales for my agency to clearly differentiate us from other providers. And 
that was a struggle that I really had on my own because the rest of my team, a designer, developer, a support person, and an admin, they didn't experience what I was experiencing as I was writing proposals, making connections, and trying to get the work. They were very isolated from that. So they became involved in projects after I sold them, but they didn't know how hard it was for me to be talking to say, a local jeweler who told me, um, you know, I put together a whole proposal that I thought was really good. And he came back to me and said, you know, I really appreciate this. But my niece just told me that she took a web design class in college. And so I'm going to have her do it, actually. So I was the person that had to deal with disappointments like that, where people didn't understand how much better our work was than someone that had taken one three credit hour class in college (laughs) because we weren't differentiated and um, it wasn't clear what the value proposition was. And that was completely on me and not something that the team experienced. So it was it was experiences like that that really made me want to differentiate us in some way, but it was something that I really took on myself as wanting to set the path for the company in a way that excited me. So I really approached the journey almost secretly. And um, <laughs> the rest of my team didn't even know about my video series necessarily. I I recorded, edited, produced, wrote everything myself as a side project. I really consider it, uh, considered it then and still consider it really a side gig and a personal project. Not that I was trying to hide it from the team, but I just wanted them to keep heads down and keep producing great work. And then um, rather than putting pressure on myself to make that specializing decision because I told them all about it. So note for all of you out there, you should start Googling your your company's founder. Possibly. <laughs> see, see, see what secret videos they're putting up there. That's funny. Uh, so you mentioned the wedding industry. Like, was that something that you went for immediately? Was that an interest of yours? Or was that something that kind of like, as you started going down this journey, like, hey, I think we could fill a role here. Yeah, that was way down the path. So I made the decision that I wanted to specialize before I had any clue what I wanted to specialize in. And I went through months and months of analysis on past projects we had done and possible industries that had a need. And it was completely a chance encounter with a wedding planner at a business conference that actually got me thinking about this path. So honestly, it was very random. And Mm -hmm. in that process, I didn't actually develop any sort of best practices for how to find a niche other than when I started thinking about it, I was fantastically excited about it and couldn't wait to do more projects like it and really felt like I made an impact and filled a big hole in the market. And it took me eight months to find that place. Um, sure. But it, it was really the right feeling that led that decision. Mm. Yeah. It's it's funny like how people find what they ultimately go into. For me, it was literally self-reflection sitting on a couch for almost a week every single night because I told my then fiance, now wife, at the time that I was gonna go back and get a full-time job because I was kind of getting burnt out. And she was just like, yeah, but that's not what you wanna do. And I know that and you know that, so we'll figure it out. And I was just like, what? I'm like, okay, well, this is the kick in the butt that I need, right? 
I think that's amazing. I just went figuring it out. And, you know, I kind of, you know, I'm definitely more of the analytical type. So I just dove deep into the business and tried to figure out what I liked and what I didn't like and what common elements there were there and all that, which, you know, that's, I mean, that's what I help people now with, at least in that part, discovering or getting them pointed in the right direction. Do you think, you know, you and I both came at it from a perspective of knowing we wanted to specialize and then doing analysis on what area we might specialize in. Do you think most generalists take that path or like specializing is the answer, but I don't know what to specialize in? Or do you think sometimes people kind of fall into something and have an idea when they start? Um, Well, to be honest with you, I didn't know I was specializing when I did it. It was more of like, let me try to figure out what I'm doing wrong and why I'm getting burnt out. Like, and what I realized at the end of it was like, okay, look, you have common things here with all these clients that you enjoy working with. And you have all these common things of clients that you don't enjoy working with. And out of that, I realized, oh, you, you have a niche. Like these are the clients that you're serving. And so I was like, okay, well, let me go down that road and try that. And I had, I had heard about niching down and specializing in the business and figuring out. And then the ball kind of rolled downhill for me. I think a lot of generalists, though, I think they hear about specializing and niching down and they, they want that. They're just not sure. I think there's a lot of fear there, like. For one, I hear it all the time about like, hey, you got to leave money on the table or if, you know, why am I going to turn down work or especially if somebody's ready. And I think a lot of people fall back into their old habits. They start to go down that road of specializing. They go get one or two clients that are of that niche and then they think, oh, okay, well, I'll get this other client came through. That sounds great. Maybe it was a past proposal or past client and they fall back and once you fall back then that that from my own experience i you're just going to start that whole cycle all over again and yeah that's what i think anyway that's really interesting that whole idea of falling back because as i've specialized over the last year i have still taken on generalist work but i've been so much more particular about those projects and if it's something that i really feel will take a ton of research that i will never benefit from using it with another client i tend to just say no to the project and i'm really only saying yes to generalist websites that i think fit really well with our skills set and honestly don't require a lot of my time on the strategic side so that I'm freed up to continue to market and pursue towards the niche and my team can actually manage a lot of the project on the generalist side. So I can't say we've slid back necessarily. I still think we're making progress because I'm turning down projects that aren't a good fit and are distractions rather than good money makers. But I actually don't necessarily think you have to say no to everything that's outside the niche for fear of not being committed enough. I think that's the, the takeaway that I want to give the listener is that if there is still a project that sounds fascinating... If you're still able to pursue your niche, um, I think there's kind of a give and take and a balance there. Yeah, I do too. And, you know, 90% of my business is built on recurring revenue. That doesn't mean I don't take one-off projects. 
It just means that the one-off project has to be right. I have to have the bandwidth to do it. And they have to kind of still go through all the same processes of all of my other clients. I don't, you know, I'm not going to not onboard them the way I would. I'm not going to not have them fill out the project brief as any other client would. They all have to fill, you know, go through those same processes of the business because that's where I optimize my business. And that's in part out of niching down and specializing my business. That's where my profits are. So if I fall back and I say, hey, you know, Sarah referred this person to me, not my niche. It's a one-off project. I'm not going to just jump on a call. I'm going to put them through the project brief and filter them and make sure they're a good fit and, and so on and so forth. But from my experience in hearing other folks is that what happens is, is they get a couple of those niche clients and then they get so heads down that they forget about the marketing side and they forget about the sales side as they had in the past and then they need money. And then they're like, okay, well, if projects were $1,000 and now I'll take on this other project that's 500 and they start going back into that hamster wheel. It's hard. It's hard. It's it's definitely discipline to keep moving forward and, and keep evolving the business in the right way. Yeah, let's talk about that. I'm super curious as we're talking about making the split, niching down and marketing a new niche. That fact that you said a lot of people will forget to keep marketing and building that. I just like to share and then I'd like to hear your thoughts also um, as far as marketing. I put together a a fairly strict marketing plan. I blogged every other week toward my niche audience. And then I was still at the beginning, I was still posting to my generalist website every other week. So I actually created two separate sites. One was 100% toward the niche and the other was still general because it made me feel good like I had a backstop and a fallback plan. But, you know, regardless of how much work I was getting, the blogs were going up every other week and I was doing outreach and trying to get on podcasts and still realizing that a big part of success in my niche was building up a reputation since I had zero. I had done one project in the industry when I decided it should be my niche. So I think that really helped. I ended mm -hmm. up getting a lot of content out there in a fairly short period of time. And that has continued to serve me. I've got several blog posts that continue to rank really well and are bringing in leads for me. So that is my recommendation is getting the content out there that proves your expertise and keeping that top of mind, not letting it slip when you get those exciting first few projects that take up a lot of your time. Sure. Do you have any recommendations as far as marketing toward a new niche? Yeah. I mean, for one, I applaud you to essentially run two businesses. I've tried to do that and not very successful at all. For me, it was a lot of, like you said, being visual, being out there in the space and letting people know that, hey, this is what I can help you with. I did that in and around communities. I did it in and around the specific vendors that I work with, right? So a lot of, at least in the initial stages of my business, it was a lot of WooCommerce and subscriptions by Prosperous. So I made relationships with people in those areas too, so that, hey, you know, this is what I'm working on. I, I work every single day and there's code patches and bugs and things that I have questions around. and. And making those relationships and keeping those relationships for me was a big deal because 
what happened from that was that became my second lead generation tactic, right? So word of mouth for me has always been the number one and vendor relationships has been number two. So, you know, now I deal specifically in drip and convert kit, still working with prosperous and WooCommerce. That's what I stick with. And those communities, I have a couple of blog posts specifically around drip that are consistently bringing in, you know, leads, but it's also being shared around those communities as well. And people know that, you know, Hey, if you need help with your e-commerce email marketing or your membership email marketing, on-site personalization, that's the stuff that I work with. So I get out there. It's hard because sometimes you can get in that, those rabbit holes in those communities and spend like a half an hour when you only meant to spend five minutes. So I definitely try to curb all of that, but it's important to help answer questions when people are out there with problems. And that's, that's a big part of my marketing is, you know, on Twitter and in Facebook communities, answering questions that people have problems with. And that's kind of how I've become known as solving certain problems because I, I help them right there. So well, I feel like you can also be intentional with the time that you're spending mm-hmm. engaging in Absolutely. those communities. So I'm about to run an experiment where I'm going to more actively engage in two Facebook groups and see what that brings for me. But I'm blocking it off in my calendar. It's going to be half an hour. I'm going to start with half an hour on Wednesday mornings and see how that goes. If it goes well, I might add a half an hour on a couple other days. But if it's part of your calendar and you see it as an intentional part of your marketing, I think that um, that can really pay off without taking up too much time. Sure. Yeah. And as a side thing that I, I even built this way early on when I started freelancing was we talked about a little about getting heads down and then forgetting about the marketing side of things. I've put in places in place rather just Zapier recipes that ping the Twitter fire hose for certain keywords, for certain company mentions, for certain things that if somebody has a question about it, something inside a drip or ConvertKit or WooCommerce subscriptions, my Slack channel, which I call SalesBot, it's a, there's a, just a SalesBot channel, gets pinged with that link to that tweet. So I don't necessarily have to be on Twitter to do it. It's just, if it's something that comes up on my radar, I can see it. Right. And so for me, that that allows me to know that, hey, if I have a, a day of client fires, I got to put out the marketing still going. Right. And I can always scroll back and help people answer those questions. Oh, that's so good. Now I'm curious if I could figure out a way to alert me of Facebook messages or Facebook group posts that have the word SEO in them, because I know a couple groups where all my target clients are hanging out. And if anybody had an SEO question, I want to be on it and the first one to answer. So I'll have to explore something like that. Just off the top of my head, I mean, I get all those alerts in my email. You could probably just set up a Gmail filter for that and just set up a certain label, right? And I don't know, that's just a thought anyway. (laughs) This sounds like an upcoming video once I figure it out. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm curious about, I mean, it's funny, we've talked a little bit off record about it, but how did you get over those fears for yourself of niching down? And then how did you overcome the fears that maybe your team had too? 
It's such an interesting question to think about fears because I had all of them. For me, it was mostly what if I choose the wrong thing and uh, bury a ton of time that I could have spent on something more productive um, going down the wrong path. So that was my biggest fear. But I just had a really strong gut feeling that specializing was the right choice for my business. And I wish I had something more formulaic, but I just really felt called that I wanted to be a specialist in something. And I think that it works well for my personality. I'm someone that wants to really go deep on a subject Mm -hmm. and really understand it in a big way rather than to know lots of things in a very shallow way. So Because that feeling was so strong for me, I just said, I know this is the right decision. I just need to find what the specialty is and I need to get all the fears to shut up and just move on. And part of the reason that I started my YouTube channel is that I wanted to be accountable to moving forward and not to let the fears cripple me. And I knew that if I actually made it public that this is something I was pursuing, that I didn't want to be a quitter and just give up on it or not actively be making progress. So because I had to sit in front of a camera every single week and tell the camera and potential watchers what I had accomplished and what I had learned, it kept me moving forward. So that was kind of the way that I busted through the fears was just being accountable to continuing to make progress every single week. What didn't work for me was putting a deadline on it. So I actually made uh, within a mastermind group, I made a 90 day goal at the end of this 90 days, I am going to decide what my specialty is. And I haven't talked about this a lot, but I actually forced myself into making a decision and I did all the analysis and I found something that fit decently into the boxes. And I said, I'm going to specialize in websites for chiropractors. And then I said, I'm going to specialize in Facebook ads for chiropractors. And I pursued that for a very short period of time and actually got several clients for it until I realized I didn't love the industry. I didn't love the work Mm -hmm. and I didn't particularly love the clients and the schedule that they kept. So I was getting a lot of text messages and phone calls after hours and on the weekends because that's when those folks were able to actually do their business development work. And I just determined it wasn't the right fit. And I wish I hadn't forced myself with a deadline to make a decision because it wasn't the right one. And when I actually found the right decision, it felt so much different to me. It didn't feel forced. It was something I was truly excited to learn more about and to really deeply pursue. And to me, that's really important because I... I wanted to make a commitment to continue to pursue my specialty that I had decided, and I knew that it wouldn't happen overnight. So I wanted to find something that I enjoyed pursuing, even if in the end nothing came out of it and that biggest fear was realized. So I guess I told my fears to go away and I just moved forward. And that's the best advice that I have. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of how I did it, too. I mean, I mean, during that analysis, it was it was really about I didn't want to waste time doing things I didn't enjoy doing. And so I really focused in on the likes and dislikes. But at the same time, it was like, hey, you're getting burnt out at this point. So any of those like leaving money on the table, like here, this is what I charge. And if you don't like it, there's other people that can help you, right? Like I can't lower my cost for you. And it was just more of like, let's put the big boy pants on and just get 
past your fears and just do it. I know it's not easy to, it's a lot easier to say than do, but it's something that I just had to, I don't know, like yourself, I just kind of had to do. When you broke the news to the team, what was their initial reaction? So the way I originally presented it to the team was not at the point where I chose the specialty, but when I really made the decision that we needed to specialize and I wanted to tell everyone why. Since they'd been so isolated from the challenges that I was experiencing in the sales process, I wanted to start there with just the advantages that I saw of specializing to the business. And I write a monthly team email that kind of recaps what's going on in the business just to keep everybody in the loop. And so in that email, I wrote a long kind of letter to the team describing why specializing was important to me. And I've actually posted that email somewhere on my blog. So it is public now. And actually, I haven't looked at it in a long time. So I would be curious to go back and see if (laughs) um, some of my original hunches were confirmed, which I think they have been. But that's the way that I originally presented it to the rest of the team, which was, you know, being a generalist is hard. We're not being recognized within what we do as experts. And I think everybody on the team is excited to be seen as an expert and to be valued for their work and their expertise. And when you are valued as more than just the hands that carry out the project, it's a lot easier for everyone to make it through the project process. So, you know, my designer appreciates when she isn't micromanaged because the client thinks they know more than she does. So this is something that really benefits the whole team being seen as experts and being seen as top of our field. So, I will say my designer has appreciated that we have been doing a variety of work and that we still have some generalist projects coming in. I don't think specializing is for everyone, especially the very creative types who enjoy designing different types of things and stay engaged that way. But So far, making this shift has been well received by everyone on the team. And I think because I laid the groundwork for why the decision was made and why I was pursuing that, I think they really felt involved in the reasons for that decision. Mm. Yeah, I think that's important to lay the groundwork of why this is happening, not just, hey, this is the whim of somebody. You know, and I call I had I went to a conference and we should be doing this at this point. I mean, I've been in companies where that happens and it's like yeah all right <laughs> if you say so but i think that's that's outstanding i mean it i think you need to get and you said it's totally remote right so it's not like you're all in an office together it's like a slack channel right yeah it's like email and basecamp and google hangouts for us most of the time mm. so yeah that's why i sent the email love letter to my team with all the information <laughs> because we don't sit in an office and have a, a big company meeting so mm. so just from the sound of it it doesn't sound like there was too much of a difficult transition i'm sure you've changed some processes and systems and things but at the same time for the most part with the team on board, everybody probably didn't lose a step really, right? Yeah, and it's important to note that our move towards specializing has been gradual. So we do still have that generalist work. Some days I do feel like I'm running two businesses. And so it wasn't like I said to my team, hey, I hired you to do this thing and you were under this impression of what 11Web does. And But tomorrow we're going to do something totally different. And 
you're either in or you're out. I think that would have been a lot harder for people. Instead, it was more, hey, right now we're working with accountants and construction companies and dentists. We're just going to add in a few more wedding professionals and we're going to do some more work that uh, looks a little bit more feminine and works with a different type of client. And, you know, it was just kind of sprinkling in something new. For me, a lot of my effort and time and learning was changed and shifted. But for the rest of the team, the change was not abrupt. Mm -hmm. And so I think that made it easier for everybody. Yeah. I guess if you had a sales team in place, that would have been a little bit more difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't really imagine if it was a bigger organization with even more people that were actively involved. I think then the why becomes even more important and really painting the picture of the vision for the future of what it looks like to be a specialist versus a generalist and helping your team to understand individually what's in it for them. So obviously for my designer, I could position it by saying, if we are an expert in this industry, our opinions are valued so much more than if we say we can do everything and people don't really believe it. So it does take a little bit of trying to figure out how it benefits each member of your team and expressing that to them so that they get on board. Mm, Yeah, that's, that's great advice right there. Yeah, I don't have a team. So for me, it was like, I just kind of had to convince myself, right? Like, why are you doing this? What is this, right? And, uh, but yeah, the hardest thing for me was really understanding the language of the customer so that when I talked to them through the sales process, they, even though I understood what they were saying in the first place, that they understood that I understood. That for me was the hardest part. And, You know, it sounds like for you, since you handle most of those sales, at least the team is somewhat protected from that with the client. They don't necessarily have to go out and make make the sales or write the proposals or close those deals. Right. Yeah. And I can do my best to teach them the language of the customer. And I love that you brought that up because I was actually thinking about this today, how amazing it is to go deep in an industry. And I know that that's not exactly what you do, but. It's exactly what I do is trying to go really deep in the wedding industry. So I've learned so much about the lingo and what people are concerned about to a level that I never would have or never did for past generalist clients. You know, I was trying to learn the acronyms of design, build and construction while I was learning the acronyms of car dealerships and online visibility for them. And you can really only scratch the surface when you're jumping from service to service, industry to industry. So it's been really fun to learn the language of the customer and to know what they're talking about and be hanging out, listening to the same podcast they listen to so that I feel like I'm fully immersed and can understand what information they're getting around my services before they even talk to me. Mm. So important to understand that language. I mean, for me, I deal strictly now with established online businesses. So I don't even build from the ground up anymore. I want the business owner to understand the pain points that they have and how I can help them. So if they're coming off the back of, you know, hey, I should put my brick and mortar store online. That's a lot of different problems because there's a lot of things that you don't know about yet that you're going to encounter once your site's up. 
and that's where I could come in and help you out. So yeah, diving deep into the language is so important. Yeah. And you don't focus on a particular industry, right? No, just really basically anything that takes money online. So I have some nonprofits. I have a lot of membership sites. I do a lot of e-commerce sites, coaching sites, coaches rather, that sell services on site. So that's kind of the the niche, but it's established, right? So you are, you know, you, you probably have an email list or a beginnings of one. You want to learn a little bit more about the customer that you're serving. You want to tailor your site and your language and everything else around that. So it's, it's, what's fun is it's pretty meta because I have to understand my clients and my clients want to understand their customers. So it's, it's like, it's this big loop, right? And it's funny how a lot of businesses don't, they just want that next sale and you just understand your customer a little bit better. You don't have to concentrate so much on that next sale. You just cater and make a raving fan out of that one customer and your business will do so much better. Yeah, that's really interesting. So you feel like even though it's not all one industry, there's still a certain language and lingo and, oh, that's, that's cool. Yeah, definitely. hundred percent for sure. I mean, obviously at the very basic, it's, you know, leads, customers, rating fans, those kind of things, but in and around email marketing and the psychology of how a website behaves for people, especially in the e-commerce space or when you're trying to sell online, there's a lot of psychology there that if you're selling hats or services or coaching, all of that psychology is still the same. So it's a matter of where a person is within the context of your business, whether they're a lead, a customer or repeat customer, whatever. How do you talk to them and how you present things to them means that they move further down that that chain or move up that product ladder in your in your business and all of that language is still very much the same regardless of who I'm working with. That's great. So I had a question for you. I'm coming up mm-hmm. on a year of specializing, about a year since I declared my niche. Do you think there's actually like a certain time point where the snowball really starts to run down the hill that seems to be any sort of turning point for people that have niched down or do you think it's different for everybody? I think it's different. Because I think it really depends on how, at least from what I've seen and experienced, it depends on how hard you push on the gas pedal, right? So we talked about still taking on generalist and, and all that. I feel like the snowball starts happening when people start calling you what you want, what your specialty and the expert is. Like that's when the snowball starts happening because the word of mouth starts to spread, right? So... You know, for me, it was the initial one was he's the WooCommerce guy. So I had become Ruby on Rails and PHP guy and Java development and all that. And then all of a sudden I was the WooCommerce guy. I was like, oh, okay, I'll take that. (laughs) That works. And that was like five or six years ago. But that for me, that's when because what happens is, is in the other people's mind, I feel like as soon as they hear that thing that they're looking for and your name pops up, that's where it, in communities, online, email, and you know, even in conferences and things, people are like, oh, you're gonna need to go talk to that person over there because they know exactly what you're, what you're looking to do. So that's the snowball effect. But the timeline, I think it depends on the person, the industry, the niche, you know, all of that. Yeah, 
I asked because I this is a fatal flaw of mine, but I just thought it would be faster. Um, and things are <laughs> I think going we really. All think that. Yeah, way. <laughs> yeah. You know, things are going really well, but I shudder to tell other people that they should specialize. But oh, by the way, it's probably going to take a year of super consistent effort before you start getting the name recognition. And actually, it was just a couple weeks ago that I got a prospect call. I was on the phone with a prospect, and I said, "How did you hear about me?" And she said, "I heard about you from so and so." who's in the industry and lives in my town. I said, well, I don't know who that is, but that's awesome. So to me, that felt like a really big accomplishment that people Uh were talking about me that I have never met and never spoken to. So but obviously that was, you know, 11 months into doing this and putting a lot of really consistent effort into it. So I wish I could tell everyone that it was a raving success after two weeks of effort, but it, it really hasn't been that way. But Thankfully, it's been really fun and I've really enjoyed this direction. So I can't believe a year has gone by because it really has flown by as I've enjoyed learning more about this work every single week. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly right. Like when you get that first, hey, how did you hear about me? And you don't recognize the name. It's just like, hey, how did that person hear about me then? Because <laughs> right? I mean, I think that that's that's where you're saying like your snowball effect because people you know somehow that person that you have no idea who is now knows you right so kudos and congrats on that for sure yeah it, it was exciting <laughs> but <laughs> like i mean dance in the office yeah, yeah um, but i recognize that that's so important the name recognition and to get in people's heads so that when someone in the wedding industry says i want to rank higher on google someone says you have to call sarah i just read this great blog post she wrote and she really knows what she's talking about she is the wedding seo person and so i've really pushed on the gas pedal of pr in the last three months hired a pr agency and and started really working that to get out on channels that I may not have had access to that have a big audience. So I'm, I'm really glad that you brought that up because I think it's important. Yeah. Well, this has been awesome. I know we're, we're pressed on time. So I want to be respectful of that. Sarah, this has been outstanding. What's next? Uh, You know, I'm just going to more and more entrench myself in the industry for the wedding industry. I am taking on fewer and fewer generalist projects. And um, I think by 2019, I'm going to be really actively pursuing speaking at wedding related conferences and um, getting even deeper into that specialized work. So I see the niche continuing to take over a bigger and bigger percentage of my day, my revenue and my team's work as well. Mm, That's great. Where can people reach out and say thanks? Well, all of my specializing related content lives at sarah-dunn.com. So that's S-A-R-A-D-U-N-N.com. I've got a blog post with every single video and I have published over 50 of them now. So some of them are certainly more informative than others. But I think if you're curious to see what this journey looks like, I have made videos consistently throughout the process. So you can see at least one example of how it worked for somebody. Yeah. And I'll link up all of those in the show notes. And from somebody who's watched, I think every single video, I don't think I've missed a video to be honest with you. I mean, it's great. I mean, they're not half hour, hour long videos. They're very short and concise. You could binge watch a whole bunch. Um, So definitely go check that out. Again, Sarah, thanks for coming on and sharing your journey with us. I know that it was 
extremely valuable. I learned a bunch of stuff too. And for everyone else, until next time, it's your time to live in the feast. Thank you so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed this episode, then head on over to liveinthefeast.com and subscribe to the podcast. Leave Sarah and I a five-star rating and review in iTunes as it will help others find this episode as well. We touched upon learning the language of your customer, which next week, Chris Blintiff and I deep dive into that and how to further delight your customers in surprising and human ways. Until then, it's your time to live in the feast. Yeah.